Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, and on this episode of Better Off, we're celebrating Pride Month with Sarah Kate Ellis. She is the president and CEO of GLAAD. Number one always is your head of development. In corporate America, it's your head of sales. I understand the importance of sales coming from corporate America. I think that's something that some people can bring often too. To mission-based work is like the understanding of how critical sales is. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Well, you know, every week we try to bring you some interviews that are a little bit thought-provoking. And today, in honor of Pride Month, we've got Sarah Kate Ellis. She is the president and CEO of GLAAD. And she comes to us to speak about her experience moving from the for-profit world to the non-for-profit world. So I think you'll enjoy this and happy Pride Month. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Sarah Kate Ellis, the president and CEO of GLAAD AA, as we like to say, welcome to Better Off. Thank you for having me, Jill. I'm thrilled to be here. We start this program with one very simple question. You ready? (laughs) I'm ready. Your best financial or career decision that you've ever made. Um... My best financial decision I've ever made was to start saving for retirement with my first job at 21. Very good. Let's go back a second. You're on with us here in the month of June because GLAAD is a very important institution for uh, gays, lesbians. I mean, you really only have GL, but you really do everything, right? Well, originally we were the gay and lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. Um, About four years ago, five years ago, we changed that. So now we are LGBTQ advocacy, media advocacy organization. So we got rid of what the the GLAAD meant. All right. And the reason why I say double A is because there is an organization that is very important, uh, which is GLAAD Single A Mm -hmm. up in Boston, which is really a legal advocacy group. Tell us what is the mission of GLAAD. Sure. GLAAD was created over 30 years ago. It was created in New York City. And it was to fight against the defamation that was happening in the reporting around AIDS. And um, what we realized was that we had no representation in media at all. And because visibility was an issue for the community. So once we formed here in New York, we quickly opened up in Hollywood as well so that we could start lobbying uh, storytellers to include LGBTQ stories in television and film and now streaming content and it expands and expands. It feels like an old-fashioned concept because now it feels like there is so much more representation of the LGBTQ population in media. Has it really changed? And where do you need to be concentrating your efforts now? It has changed. Um, and I would I would give a lot of that credit to GLAAD well before I was there. Um, but the formation of GLAAD and its continued efforts to make sure that we were represented. I think, though, you have to look at it at a, at a higher level. Like, GLAAD is really a culture change agent. We move hearts and minds. And so where we do that originally is in media, and we continue to do that. That is our lane, if you will. But I think what's really important is also to think about all these new streaming 
content. And if you look at studio, our Studio Responsibility Index, which is the rating of the top seven studios out of Hollywood, that hasn't changed. So really? the more boutique studios, if you think of Moonlight, um, those kinds of films, those come from the boutiques. Those are not the big seven. Those are not getting mass distribution, global distribution. So the stories still aren't being told there. Um, they are starting to, and we're really, we're shining a light on them and celebrating them to encourage other executives to step out of what has become their quote unquote model for success. And that is not including people of color, not including LGBTQ people. So um, not telling the depth and breadth of stories that exist here in America. Let's go back to your origin story. Were you always in nonprofit land or did you come from another industry? So I actually, this is only my fourth year in the nonprofit land. I was a media executive. I worked at Condé Nast. I've heard of that. Did you know Anna Wintour? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I rode the elevator with her a really? couple of times. Were yes. you scared? I, I, yeah, of course. Well, <laughs> she, I worked at Vogue, so I had a couple of meetings with her. No, she actually, she's a businesswoman. I love businesswomen, so no, she's really smart. And I worked in media, so I worked at magazines primarily. And by the time I left Time, Inc., I was overseeing about 13 different brands from a marketing perspective that include print and digital. And I needed something more fulfilling in my life. I always understood the power of media and how it could move hearts and minds. And so when GLAAD had called and they were looking for a new president, I thought this marries my understanding and know-how in media with my passion for the LGBTQ community and advocacy. And I've always been an advocate activist um, since college, I was marching down in Washington. It's different, though, moving from the for-profit universe mm -hmm. to the non-profit. Now, truth be told, of course, you were in this shrinking, horrendous business called publishing. Right. You had to bring that up. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I'm just, there was I, that I, I'm in, I am in the shrinking business <laughs> of network news, right. so I get that. But I'm interested in how you found that transition, because I know a lot of people call the program and they want to know, you know, I really do want to do something that's more mission aligned with yeah. my life. They have a frustration sometimes, just not just about money, mm -hmm. because obviously the world is not exactly the same in the non, non for profit land. Correct. But they have also called and complained that it, there's like this weird consensus building and that there doesn't seem, especially those who come from real hierarchical types of institutions mm -hmm. and then go into nonprofits. Ooh. So, how did you find the transition? I didn't find it horrible at all, but it is very difficult. And also what we do isn't service. It's it's not direct service, right, in the traditional way. So there isn't, there aren't KPIs. Like I was used to media, you, you report in on metrics and KPIs. So what I did do, which I do think was one of my better moves, like back to your original first question, what was my smartest move at GLAAD, was I worked with Harris Poll and created a measurement for culture in America on how people feel about LGBTQ people. So so that I could tell the people who are investing in our organization how they're moving hearts and minds. And so we use annual, and we measure it annually with Harris Poll, seven questions on comfortability. So how comfortable are you having a gay person move next to you? How comfortable are you having your child learn an LGBTQ history lesson in school? And we look at from very uncomfortable 
to very comfortable where America lies. And then we're able to track that on an annual basis. Our first time we had the study, we found out that people who lived in the South were 20 percent had a higher discomfort rate by 20%. And so we started a program that was focused on that. So I think that you can apply your business acumen to the not-for-profit acumen. The consensus building is tougher. Um, That's something that a lot of corporate people don't necessarily have a hand in. But, you know, you get taken away by the passion and the mission, and so it kind of comes easily. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our interview with Sarah Kate Ellis in just a minute. But, you know, I'm wondering, markets go up, markets go down, lots of volatility these days. How do you know you're saving and investing for the life you want? I know all the issues around money and finances, they can be confusing. And understanding the market, it can be intimidating. Fortunately, our sponsor, Betterment, is here to change that. Betterment offers personalized advice and a suite of tools to help you know whether you're on track to hit your investing goals or get the retirement you want. Betterment's mission is to help customers make the most of their money. They do that by taking complex investing strategies and using technology to make them more efficient. Of course, all investing involves risk, but better off listeners, you can get up to one year managed free. For more information, visit Betterment.com slash betteroff. That's Betterment.com slash betteroff. And now back to our interview with Sarah Kate Ellis. I want to talk about some more numbers. One is that your budget at the end of fiscal year 2013 was $3.7 million. And uh, at the end of your 2017 fiscal year, it looks like it's tripled. How did that happen to $10.4 million? What happened? Yeah. So I think uh, several things happened. Um, one was that we really focused the organization um, in terms of what we do best and how we do it. We built out the GLAD Media Institute. We enacted this piece of research that really helped investors understand where their money was going and how we were moving public opinion on on issues. And then we built up our social media. So brought in a chief digital officer, which was something that we were falling behind in as a media advocacy organization. Hmm. Was lucky enough to steal this guy, Jim Holleran, away from Twitter and bring him to to really start to build up. But, you know, at number one always is your head of development. In corporate America, it's your head of sales. And I have, I understand the importance of sales coming from corporate America. I think that's something that some people can bring often to, to mission-based work is like the understanding of how critical sales is. And I brought in a head of sales that I worked with in media for 15 years. When you came on board, what year was it? 2014, I started. 2014, you started. Okay. So in 2014, things had already started to shift with marriage equality. Mm-hmm. It looks like in your tenure, you've brought on more big corporate donors. Mm-hmm. Has that been because you reached out to them or do you think it's because they're more comfortable with it? Or what? what's your sense of it? I think it's a combo, honestly. I think that it, for for retention and recruitment, it's a must-have now, being associated with the LGBTQ community, being associated with diversity and inclusivity, one of that being 
um, LGBTQ. And fortunately, we have one of the most valuable properties, which is the largest LGBTQ event in the world. And so dollar for dollar, it's just it's they, they get a, an amazing value for their investment based on that. And is that the Glad Media Award? That is. Yes. So what is the next frontier for the LGBTQ community? What should people do who are listening, who want to support? What are some ways that they can kind of pitch in and help? Even, you know, straight allies out there, gay people, whatever. All seven indicators that I was talking about Mm -hmm. before went backwards. To move culture takes years of work. I know you have a rosy forecast and I know I don't have that... a rosy forecast. I just I'm just sort of reporting like the good news. There's always bad yes, news. I'm always... really let me tell you that Mark would never um would accuse me of being rosy. So I tend to be a cynic <laughs> and I do generally have like sort of a dark Jewish view of the world, which is bad things happen all the time. So okay. I'm willing to I so I don't want to say that everything's rosy. I want I you know but that it's important to hear these the 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 data. Right. The reality of what's happening and we're also seeing a big uptick is being reported in hate crimes against the LGBTQ community as well. So and discrimination within that. So I think that we have a lot of work. These are precious wins that we've had over the past decade, and they can be lost just as quickly. If you see in Bermuda, they rolled back marriage equality. And so these these are precious, and we have to I, I do believe, my theory is, that if we work really hard right now in the face of adversity that we're facing, that we're seeing on a daily basis, that we will come out of this better and that we will move leaps and bounds ahead. But right now is the hard work. So the biggest shift comes from millennials who were allies mm-hmm. and then and they moved. and they moved. So what happened to this great thesis that like, oh, and everyone under 30 thinks this is nonsense because they all love gender fluidity? Right. So I do have some theories about that. Generation Z, I think as they're called, uh, we did do a study on them. And 20% identify as LGBTQ. Right? Okay. So that's it. great. And yeah. that's where this whole theory that like the next generation, they don't care. Yeah. They're amazing. However, I think that on the road to acceptance is first rejection. Mm. And I think because of gender fluidity, because we are seeing a generation that is is more fluid and non-binary than we've ever seen before, I do think it does make some people uncomfortable at first. There is a, a natural evolution to acceptance, and I think we're seeing just the beginning of it. Sarah Kate Ellis, we began the program. I asked you your very best uh financial or career decision and your uh you said uh, you started saving early for retirement what's your worst financial decision um <laughs> i think it was uh from a business perspective or from a personal you could do both do one of each um from a personal perspective it was selling during that down market oh you let those emotions creep in well it was a co-op i didn't have i had twin newborns and yeah i had to move you I had to become I, a they suburban wouldn't let mom. me sublet you oh, know God. the whole thing well that's so. not really a dumb thing that's just unfortunate I didn't lose my shirt i well, lost my sleeves but but you know what that's like to me that's not a dumb decision that's just a decision that had to be made and you were unlucky in oh, your I timing like but you part purchased hopefully when the market was also low so that's not so terrible yeah you know, okay, I thought yeah, you were right, going right. to say that, like, 
you sold your portfolio out at the bottom, which was no, no, you wouldn't do that. No, no, never, never, never. And then from a business perspective, I think uh, it's there's they're pretty minor, thank God. All right, so don't do them. Don't I'm worry. Knocking on some wood here. All right, or for Micah or <laughs> at the beautiful CBS Radio Studios. But I do want to also say that people, your question started with how do people get involved? I invite people to go to glad.org, which is G-L-A-A-D, as you pointed A, out, dot org. Or if you're not interested in GLAD, find what is your passion point. But all marginalized communities right now need people, need help. They need financial help. They need volunteer help. They need participation. So now is the time to roll up your sleeves and get involved. And please do it. Sarah Kate Ellis, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time to focus on you. After our interview segment, we do talk to you and we have our listener question of the week. This is when you get to ask me and Mark any question that's on your mind, financially speaking. I mean, other questions will be fielded, but I am not going to deign to actually give you advice on those other parts of your life. So if it's anything that has to do with money, maybe it's insurance or maybe it's real estate or investing, uh, give us a holler. It's very easy to get in touch with us. Just send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Tony from Indianapolis, he did just that. And you are our listener question of the week. Tony, what can I do for you? Hi, Jill. Uh, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Sure. I have a question that just uh, came up when I got some mail here recently, and, and kind of a two-part thing, and it involves dollar cost averaging. I feel like I have a good understanding of finances, but especially the last few years, and kind of have a good plan in place, and, and um, got a re- letter recently from my four, 457 administrator, and and informed me that one of the funds that um, I've been in for many years, they've dropped that one and added a new one, and all of the money that I had in that particular one is now in the new one. And it kind of got me thinking about, you know, all of those years that I was in that fund, you know, applying uh, the dollar cost averaging principle of, you know, uh, money into it every paycheck. Now all of a sudden I have one lump sum mm. into that new fund. And I, I mean, I I don't know if there's really any bad thing about that. It just kind of got me thinking, you know, all those years of kind of building up the, the average price of, you know, per share of that fund. And, and now I'm just dumping in one lump into the new fund. And if there's anything to consider when that happens, is it no big deal when that happens? Or, or is there something that, you know, we should maybe think about doing now that that has happened. Okay, two things. One is that, look, you've gotten the benefit of dollar cost averaging. You put a little bit of money into a fund at periodic time interval, probably, you know, by paycheck. So a little bit at a time, right? So you just went, you know, a little bit. And so you've gotten the benefit of that, that you've put your money to work slowly but surely. Dollar cost averaging, by the way, is kind of a fabulous way of uh, kind of mitigating some of the risk that a lot of people feel because, like, how much money's in the fund right now? Uh, I'm I'm actually not sure that particular one. I mean, I know in let's the say, account in a whole, but uh, you give uh, what's in the account? Uh, let's see, this one probably around twenty or thirty. I just came back to this job, and all of the bulk of my four five seven was put into a traditional IRA, so not a huge amount. Into okay. The, 
But imagine this. Imagine that, like, you had $20,000 to invest when you first came back two years ago, right? And right. I'm just giving, I'm making these numbers up. And you put all your money to work, and then the next day the market fell out of bed and you got crushed, and we started, you know, some long, horrible market slide. You would have been so upset, right? Sure. Okay. Alternatively, you put a little bit of money to work over time. And as a result, you probably didn't make as much money. You had a more if, – if the markets are rising, dollar cost averaging isn't as good a deal as putting the lump sum in. But when the market collapses, then it makes you feel a lot better about putting that money to work. Today, you've already had the benefit of that putting that little bit of money to work, and now there's twenty to $30,000 that's going to get popped into the new fund. There's nothing bad that's happening. I would say the best part of this news is that it should prompt you to just look at your overall financial life in terms of your investing. You might say, all right, I've got 20 or 30 grand in this 457 plan. What are the best options inside of this plan? And then look at your IRA and say, let me use the IRA because I have chance I have a chance to really customize what my investments are there. And fill in the blanks. So let's just say in your 457, you had an amazing U.S. stock market index and it cost, you know, five basis points a year, 0.05% every year. But every other option was lousy. I might say to you, okay, then use the index fund in the 457 and use your IRA to do all of the other diversified investing that you're doing. So I okay. think that there's nothing bad that's happening here. If, in any, if anything, it's just a great moment for you to say, okay, let me look at my options. Make sure I'm choosing a really good cost-efficient option. And then let me look at everything else I have available. The reason why I'm laughing about these retirement plans sometimes is that I can't remember. Some big institution did a study, and I can't remember who it was, but they they found that like 27% of people understood how much they were paying inside of their retirement accounts, but 96% of them knew exactly how much they paid for their streaming Netflix subscription. So you try to familiarize yourself and tell me, like, if you could do that and you can maybe get a better game plan together, then I think that that's all you need to do with this information. Perfect. Do we have enough time for the follow-up part? Why not? Do it. So I guess the majority of my money, I have about 300000 in a traditional and and, um, additional on a Roth uh, that's managed by an advisor, mm-hmm. and I'm 41, and and uh, recently remarried, and and you know she's putting into her accounts, and we have a good plan going. I'm putting in about 20 percent of my income, and she's doing the same. And um, you know I like my advisor absolutely just fine. Been with her for several years, but uh, I've thought about, and I also have a Betterment account which has a much lower balance. I just Open that up maybe a year and a half ago or so. I've been strongly considering rolling my traditional and Roth into uh, you know Betterment's accounts because I feel like I have a you know I'm I still have twenty twenty five years away from retirement. It's not like I have millions of dollars. I I don't know that I actually need to be paying the you know uh, advisory fees and things like that at sure. this point. Sure. If I take that bulk amount of money. And then just put it in, you know, roll it in. Aren't I kind of just taking a big amount and putting it all in at once? And, you know, how is that going to be? Oh, that's so interesting. So, look, you've had the benefit of dollar cost averaging all along the way. So you've already gotten that benefit. And okay. I, I don't I would first of all, and again, you're young, you're 41 years old. And I would not worry so much that even if you were 
to say, okay, what would happen if the market dropped by 30% tomorrow? I mean, it would stink for you, and I wouldn't want that, but you've got so much time that uh, I think that trying to time the market is simply going to be impossible. I mean, it just really, over the long term, it just doesn't work. I'll tell you what I think is kind of great. How much are you paying in advisory fees on the 300-some thousand dollars? Uh, 1%. I mean... When you look at that and, you know, yes, Betterment's our sponsor, but I'm just saying that comparatively what you just need to know is that, you know, you make that move to Betterment and you go from 1% down to a quarter of 1%, that three quarters of a percent is dropping to your bottom line. That's your money. And to me, to not have that benefit is kind of crazy. So I, I definitely wouldn't worry about doing it. Um, I like the idea of consolidating it. And how much do you and your wife make together, by the way? Uh, probably let's see, uh, 135 household. Are you, are you guys thinking about perhaps converting to a Roth IRA, any of the traditional money? Well, my 457 is a Roth 457. Oh, great. And, okay. Uh, and she has um, only the availability of a traditional 401 at her company. Okay. Um, so okay. I figured that would be a good Perfect. Kind of offset. I do my 401 Roth and, and she does her you know traditional. Sounds great. Um, we, she also has a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA that she's contributing to. And I have, um, I haven't contributed any uh, I guess it wasn't suggested to me or something over the years to my traditional and Roth that's managed by the advisor, but I do contribute to the Betterment account. All right. Well, great. Rock and roll. Make it happen. I think you're in good shape. And uh, don't worry. Again, you've already gotten the benefit of the dollar cost averaging. So don't worry about that. Okay? Sounds good. All right. Good luck. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks so much to Sarah Kate Ellis from GLAAD and to our caller, Tony. We drop new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, and sometimes we've been known to sneak in an extra one on a Saturday. You can download our show anywhere you get your podcasts, radio.com, Apple, Google Play, wherever you go. And if you've got a financial question, don't forget, you can always send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is the best executive producer in the world. We are distributed by Cadence 13, and we're sponsored by Betterment. See you next week.